Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, 3CR's look at the Australian film industry. And uh, there's a a bevy of great Australian films that are coming out over the next uh, week or so, uh, September, in the first week of September, in fact, uh, and the last week of August. But one already is out on the screens at the moment, and that is the... Uh, Australian Dream, the documentary that uh, looks at the uh, Adam Goods, uh, uh, well, the uh, the effect that uh, Adam's Goods standing up saying that uh, it's not okay to be racist by uh, footy fans and the backlash that happened and the uh, investigation into Australian racism, in fact. A fascinating film, saw it the other day, really worth seeing. Uh, it's already on the screens now at Nova, uh, and it's important to have a, a look at it. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, the um, other films that are coming out that are really, and all of them are really top-notch films, uh, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, um, they're uh, a trio of female directors uh, You've got um, Angel of Mine, which we're going to feature today. We're going to have a yarn, I did have a yarn with Kim Ferrant, who's the uh, director of Angel of Mine. That uh, was at the uh, uh, at MIF, Melbourne International Film Festival, as well as Animals, which is the new film from Sophie Hyde. She, you might remember, was responsible for uh, 52 Tuesdays. Uh, we did feature uh, the dis- discussion about uh, animals a couple of uh, programs ago. If you want to go back to the podcast and listen, she is just a mighty director. And uh, f- also... Uh, but even and that's coming onto the screens on September the third. I'm going backwards, really. So, Angel of Mine is September the fifth. Uh, Animals is September the third, and The Nightingale, the new film from Jennifer Kent, who uh, brought uh, us Babadook. The Nightingale opens on August the twenty ninth, and we're going to feature an interview with uh, Jennifer Kent on the program next week. But today we're going to uh, focus on Angel of Mine, which is a psychological thriller. Uh, Anyway, here we go. So how did you uh, begin this project? 
Well, the American producers Brian and Josh Etting sent the project to me after they'd seen my film Strangerland at Sundance and asked me if I'd be interested and I read the script by Luke Davies and David Regal and really loved it. I you know, wanted to develop it further and, and change it um, in some ways and which we did over the subsequent um, couple of years with our wonderful Australian producer Sue Armstrong and the American producer. We all kind of pitched in a lot of notes and after many rewrites came up with our version of this story, um, which was originally inspired by a French film called Mark of an Angel, uh, which is more of a drama and our you know, angel of mine is way more of a psychological thriller and the plot, you know, starts in a very similar premise but then departs off into a whole lot of other twists and turns and way more well, um, interestingly enough, uh, in a sense, people might think that there's a slightly far-fetched element to this, but actually there have been um, stories in real life. Well, yeah, the, the, it's based on true events, but um, if I went into those events, no, no, I might that's right. things away, so I won't. But, it, you know, part of the reason that we wanted to set it in, in a kind of nondescript city, we don't make particular references who had been shot in Melbourne or set in Melbourne is because this story could happen anywhere. And for that reason, you know, we have an international cast. We have, you know, all different ethnicities represented within the film. It's not, um, you know, Australian-centric. I mean, it is an Australian film, but it could be any country. It's actually female-centric in a sense, isn't it? I think it is, yes. It's, It's so... It was such a delight to have... Two characters that were strong women, both equally, you know, kind of able to be wrathful and also tenderly beautiful and lovable, and two powerful actresses, extraordinary, in Numi Rapace and Yvonne Strahovski. So, yeah, it's a very much a female driven film. But the, the two supporting male leads, sorry, male, the two supporting male characters. Um, which are played by Richard Roxburgh and Luke Evans from a film train, are written in such a way that we were able to attract cast of that calibre for, for, you know, the, the guys only have like three or four scenes each, but those scenes are really potent. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a very well-rounded film, and uh, as I was watching it to begin with, it seemed kind of linear, but then it began to become far more tense. So what you're talking about is you're interested in creating uh, a slow burn with uh, meticulous levels of pacing that uh, brings the audience in. Is that what you're particularly... That's what affected me that way. Is that what you're aiming for? Annie, I think that's a lovely summation of what we were going for. And then the only thing I'd add to that is that at a certain point, once that audience is hooked in on the, the plight of our main character, Numi Rapace, and, um, playing Lizzie, it then starts to kind of exacerbate and propel and move faster and kind of go deeper into the, you know, the kind of tension. Like one critic who saw it in an early edit screening said at the end of the movie, oh, my God, I need a sedative. <laughs> <laughs> Shot. 
Um, and I think that's because it, it does build into this kind of rampant fever and fury, which was really exciting to direct. And yeah, I mean, it's a psychological thriller. So in that way, it needs to be suspenseful. And I think um, we had a, um, our first world premiere last night at the Melbourne Film Festival, which was really exciting. And there was you could you could actually hear the palpable kind of gasps from the audience when they you know get freaked out or surprised or shocked or and so that was you know tremendously rewarding and exciting for us. Oh yes, that must be fantastic. I mean, of course, that's why you make films, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So you want the audience to have a visceral experience, and they they were, and there was you know in moments people crying. We also had lots of laughs, which we weren't expecting as many as we got, so we were really thrilled by that. So yeah, it's quite a roller coaster, not for the faint-hearted, um, but definitely impactful. And and as one person said, it's a cracker. Yeah. Cracker of a thriller. <laughs> well, well, that's exactly right. And um, running parallel to it, because it uh, is, and I guess this is the nature of psychological thriller, is an inspection of uh, social uh, s- expectation standards and biases. Yes. So very astute of you to bring that up, because one of the things that drew me to the script was how because this woman is unraveling in her kind of desperate obsession, um, she becomes, you know, Lizzie, Nimi replaces the character, becomes obsessed with another woman's child. And she herself is in the throes of grief, you know, when she sees this, first sees this little girl. And, you know, in her obsession, she begins to emotionally unravel and she becomes you know, more and more forgetful and irascible and, you know, aggressive and snappy and vulnerable and, you know, like kind of dissolving into needy, desperate tears in moments and in other moments quite vicious and violent. Um, and, you know, it's that thing of like grief has so many different guises and it moves through our system in so many different ways, be it, you know, our rage at God or be it our absolute, you know, desolate kind of, you know, feeling so alone and isolated in our pain and our sorrow. And I think a lot of people in society find grief really uncomfortable to be around. And in this story, the the family members and even the friends find her grief, you know, quite untenable. It, it, at a certain point, they just literally, one of the characters says, you know, get over it, like get on with your life kind of thing. Um and it's like people have only a certain, you know, threshold in which they can withstand observing other people's grief because, you know, it triggers our own when we're in the presence of someone who's so deeply in their pain. And so in a culture these days that lacks very few rituals that acknowledge the, the loss and, and the grieving and separation process, where do we go with our grief? Um, and so I was, you know, very inspired to kind of put that kind of stark, raw emotion and all the crazy, reckless behaviours that can come with it. Um, and in, in this character's case, that becomes, you know, to the point of obsession and even what one might call madness. Um, she's also she sexually acts out. She does a whole lot of things which are quite on the borderline of what we might deem as crazy. But then on the other hand, you know, it's fueled by this, body that we all know but just maybe 
cannot talk about or try and deal with behind closed doors or we numb with, you know, medications or booze or alcohol or drugs or whatever. And this character at a certain point, she stops taking her meds. She wants to feel everything. Um, and so there's, in a way there's a real honouring of this raw state that we all experience as human beings. No one is, you know, immune to loss or death. Uh, or separation in this life and so there's something quite beautiful about that place you know when we're in the throes of grief because you get to feel how deeply you loved another being you get to feel how connected you were or are and the loss of them and that can bring great gratitude into our lives but also like the exquisite aliveness of you know being in a body and what we get to feel whilst we're alive so yeah, it's, it, in a way, it's an ode to those deep emotions. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because uh, really, that's very human. And uh, in actual fact, uh, humans are being demand, uh, are demanded to uh, show up shiny-shoed uh, for public performance. And she does that really well. It's a fabulously well-written piece because she's not a stupid person. She constantly comes out in shiny shoes and... Uh, calm face, yeah. giving the right answers to the questions that they're posing. Yeah, and that's that whole thing of, you know, making yourself palatable for others to be around. But then at a certain point in Lizzie's case, you know, she just can't hold that mask up anymore and she doesn't want to. Yeah, it's know. fascinating. Absolutely fascinating put Lee put together. Red Alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Hi, my name is Rolf de Heer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters. And yes, you are indeed on 3CR. This is uh, Showreel. You're with Annie. And we're having a talk with uh, Kim Ferrant. She's the director of a film called Angel of Mine, which is going to be out in cinemas on September the 5th. Uh, and uh, it uh, did, as she said, have its uh, international uh, uh, first screening at uh, the Melbourne International Film Festival and you get to go there and to the cinemas and see it as well. Anyway, we'll continue with my chat with uh, uh, Kim Ferrand and she gets uh, she is joined by uh, her producer, Sue Armstrong. Obviously, uh, you're making a career of uh, doing psychological dramas. Is that, case? Is that the case? Well... I would just, to, on a technicality, I would say this is more of a psychological thriller. Oh, sorry. 
And Strangerland was what I would call a mystery drama. Oh, sorry. Yes. That's okay. There's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a filmmaker, I would want to clarify that. Um, and then, yes, I have a, um, a, another psychological thriller um, that I'm developing um, an, adapta- an adaptation of a book named The Boat, um, written by Sarah Salomon. But then I'm also doing an, you know, an eco-thriller about the amazing non-violent activist Julia Butterfly, um, and then a TV series which is a comedy drama. So yes, I have a passion for psychological thrillers, but they're not the only genre that I play in. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it does mean, I suppose, that you get to be an expert and uh, there's no reason for why that particular genre shouldn't be the uh, place where you uh, display your observations of the world around you quite clearly. Oh, I don't know if I'd call myself an expert, but I'm definitely a lover of that, um, you know, suspense, the edge of your seat, um, feeling simultaneously, like, so uncomfortable that you almost want to walk out, but at the same (laughs) time, be captivated and gripped by something. And that was, you know, a delight to work with such a, you know, powerful group of heads of department all the way through from shooting it and creating the look and, you know, Andy Commerce, who was our DOP, and Ruby Mathers, our designer, but also the editor, Jack Hutchings, did an incredible job with creating and building that tension sound design by Chris Goods and and then kind of topped off by Gabe Noel who was our secret weapon composer who just made this very eerily creepy, quite sparse but exquisite score which does a lot to build that tension as well. So it, it's very much a team effort. Now you said you got the script from uh, American. Uh, is that, uh, can you tell me how that all came about? I mean, you've made a couple of uh, very successful short films and then you made a bi- quite a big debut feature. So quite clearly you're on the, um, you know, you're recognised as a person that's uh, worth backing because that's what happens when you're a good director, isn't it? You've got to have people who are prepared to come in behind you. Um, so how did, uh, the, how did you find that script? I mean, or did the script find you? So... Um we have um, a team of three producers in um, our Australian producer, the amazing Sue Armstrong. Yes. Um, and then our American producers, Brian and Josh Etting, they'd seen, they were the, the first ones, they had um, originally found the project and they um, got Luke on board to do the adaptation and then they saw Strangerland, the film I'd done that was at Sundance, they saw it there and reached out to my agent and sent me the script. And then I met up with them and Luke and the other writer, David Regal, and, and said, you know, can we change this? Can we can we shift that? And they were in agreement to those developmental um, variations. And then so then we embarked on what was probably like a two-and-a-half-year development and financing process um, and then went and, and made the film. So did you have to go to America or did you live here and then just... Oh, I live in the States, so yeah. they, I met with them over at a Starbucks, a Starbucks in like Burbank or somewhere hideous. Um, <laughs> when I first literally met Brian and Josh, that was quite funny. Um, and Luke Davies, the writer, um, the main writer, lives over there as well. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, we... We spent a lot of time on Skype with our um, 
producer here, Sue, in Australia, and then we came over back to Australia. I'm from here originally to shoot the film and do all the post. So why did you decide to shoot it in Australia? Was there, is it because your producer was here or were there other reasons? I might let my producer answer that question, Sue Armstrong. Um, hi, Annie. G'day. Hi, g'day. Um, why, why Australia? Well, there's benefit to filming in Australia. I think that um, be with Luke, with Kim, um, and, you know, it's always the thing of the budget and the finances, sadly, to be considered. But uh, we have great support from the industry here, so um, people are always looking at those kinds of things. And um, I guess there was just no reason not to. I think it, um, strangely enough, Melbourne, since we're to go to feel, does feel even more European than a lot of North American places, but also... I think it just lent it to a more um, multicultural landscape. And, you know, we talked about other countries and other places, and it can go anywhere. It could go to, you know, um, probably most cities. And uh, it just felt comfortable here. It comes down to when when you're putting a, a film together is where does it... What suits the story? And also... Sue, being English, but has lived in Australia for many, many years, she was very much aware of, like, the the kind of... There's so so much immigration in this country. We have such a beautifully diverse, you know, um, plethora of of ethnicities. And so she was really instrumental in the casting and making sure we were actually representing a current-day Australia and a current-day, you know, kind of... um, global, you know, landscape where you have people from all over the world living in one city. And so we've got people from, you know, Sweden, we've got English in the film, we've got Australian, we've got our wonderful Aboriginal um, Rob Collins, you know, is one of the supporting roles. Like, so there's all different ethnicities within the film, which I think represents the kind of society um, we live in today. So would you say that uh, the filmmaking process for you is, in, in, in fact, international in a sense? Because, uh, and it's possible to get the best by looking at the, uh, it, it in a global sense? Yeah, I mean, a- absolutely. And also, you know, within Australia, we have such strong um, and remarkable through, you know, filmmakers, heads of departments to draw from, and we also have some of the best talent in the world. So, you know, we brought Yvonne Strahovski, who's Australian, back to Australia. <laughs> um, most people know her from Handmaid's Tale, um, in which she's, you know, got the Emmy nomination, and she's so phenomenal, phenomenal in that. I didn't even know, as I was watching Handmaid's, that she was Australian because her accent is so flawless. But we have, you know, a really remarkable pool of talent in this country. And so it was exciting to be able to draw back some of those, you know, stars that have gone to live in the U.S. to pursue their careers there back to Australia to make the film. Were you also gratified by the uh, reaction that you got at uh, MIF last Oh, yes. I mean, she was really disappointed that she couldn't come because especially it's her home country that we were launching the film in, but she's shooting on a film in Atlanta 
Numi wanted to come, but she's shooting on a film in Iceland. Luke was on a film in the UK. And where was Roxburgh? Roxburgh, I don't know where he is, but he's overseas. He's not back till this weekend. He's in Europe somewhere. He was in Europe, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know he was working with Helen Mirren on a project, but whether he's still doing that, all I know is not not due back till um, the end of next week, I think. And as a filmmaker, you know, you actually spend most of your time, I would say, on Skype. (laughs) That's where we spend most of our working day, is on the computer speaking to people in other countries at all kinds of crazy time zones. So, yeah, very international career it is. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. Oh, it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you, Annie. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio. 3CR. Well, that's a wrap for Showreel this week. Uh, don't forget that uh, Angel of Mine is going to be out in cinemas on September the 5th. Uh, psychological thriller. And it is too quite extraordinary, actually. Uh, The Australian Dream is out already, documentary about the Adam Goods affair and the Australian racist heart. And uh, Animals is going to be out September the 3rd and The Nightingale, August the 29th. These are all great Australian films, so don't let anybody tell you that Australians don't make great films. We're going to go out with uh, Sweet Struggle by Mia Dyson. Coming up next is Published or Not. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.